This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 346 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Giovanni Reyna's contract extension, Golden Boy Erling Haaland putting four past Hertha, Yusuf Mokoku writing Bundesliga history, the glorious FC Schalke conquering last place and briefly we will preview the Champions League game against Club Bruges. For all that and more joins me Matthias Zuck. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? Hey, Stefan, I'm doing well. The sun is shining and the power is back, so nothing to complain about. How are you doing? Yeah, I was I was biting my nails a little bit uh, when you reported that you had a power outage because uh, we wanted to record an international break Q&A, but uh, for all the two weeks of free time, we just couldn't schedule it for various reasons with various panelists. So uh, I, I really apologize that we couldn't turn out a show before uh it just for some reason it did not work i mean it's kind of <laughs> kind of true to form these days to, as the transition f from 45 to 46 uh, is taking a little bit longer it appears <laughs> um but uh, yeah it's 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 good to finally talk about things and uh, oh boy matthias there are so many things to talk about but before we do that we also have to announce a sponsor for this episode Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. And this episode is sponsored by Ben Hunt, who uh, would love a discussion in earnest about the build-up associated with the backline. And he uh, talks about Hummels, Dimes, Akanji, Guerrero, Linkup, and John, the ball carrier. And uh, he thinks that those three do deserve huge amounts of credit. Uh, Matthias, before we actually talk about this, I, I think... Without without uh, any further ado, we can both say, yes, they do deserve a lot of credit, especially in the game against Hertha. I completely agree. I mean, you saw all of those dynamics. I mean, granted, there weren't too many Matsumis dimes, but overall, you saw the dynamic of the strengths of all three of those players who have very different strengths. And uh, yeah, no, absolute high credit to all of them. I think they have exceeded our expectations. I know Akanji was a little bit maligned last season or very maligned. He's come back strong. Chan slotting into central defense doing or one of the back three has done very well. And Hummels has found his old Hummels form. So absolutely agree with him. Yeah, yeah. Now what Matthias obviously does not know is that uh, I uh, prepared a little thing to dive into this Hertha game and to uh, take us back into memory lane of this uh, glorious 5-2 victory and here it goes. Royce, now Chandler to the area and Haaland and there's the equaliser and he's out of position now as Julian Brandt sets off at pace. Haaland, the flag has stayed down, it's Erling Haaland! Haaland, oh look at the pace of Erling Haaland to complete his hat-trick! He makes it look so simple. 
He's a force of nature, a born goalscorer, a hat-trick in less than 20 minutes. Marco Royce. It's Mounier in for Haaland. It's Guerrero. And it's four for Dortmund. However, Borussia Dortmund will want to answer in the way they know how. With Erling Haaland. The perfect reply. It's four for Haaland. Five for Borussia Dortmund. Well, a well-earned breather for Erling Haaland. A devastating display. He's replaced by a man who's not only setting a Bundesliga record, he's smashing it. Yusufa Mukoko, the youngest player in Bundesliga history. Just 16 years and a day old. That's obviously the exuberant voice of Phil Bonny. Matthias, if I remember correctly, uh, he uh, featured on the Yellow Wallpot once, didn't he? Or was that Rob Turner? Uh, I was going to say, that was Rob Turner. Damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Yellow Wall, pod, uh, Yellow Wall Pod OG Rob Turner. Yes. Um, you need to get him back and, on and the show. That was a lot. That was way, way, way long, many, many moons ago. That was even before my time. <laughs> yes, yes. It was uh, Matthew, Rob, and myself. And then Rob ha went on to bigger and better things, as one can hear. And uh, But uh, we are going strong. So it was great to actually hear him and hear him again. Well, that, again that was again. Phil Bonnie, But uh, yeah, Rob Turner is also often on the microphone featuring for ESPN, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he is also doing some commentary stuff for, for Dortmund. So uh, people have actually known him. But uh, yeah, so... Um, Ne nevertheless, uh, <laughs> this this whole little clip was almost uh, one minute twenty long. Not my fault, really. It's uh, more because Dortmund were scoring so many goals against Hertha, um, and Matthias. That pretty much was the story of the second half, obviously. But before we talk about the exploits of uh, Arling Haaland and how he almost single-handedly destroyed Hertha Berlin, uh, we do have to talk about the uh, first half, which. Uh, uh, was more of a struggle fest for the old black and yellows, uh, especially, uh, you know, the, the lack of focus come to mind of uh, Rafa Guerrero first having like an atrocious first touch where the ball just runs out of bounds and then uh, a couple minutes later him attempting a throw-in and just sort of slips through his hands where he felt like the focus maybe wasn't at 100% and hurt her. I, th I thought they were up for it. So um, after Bayern dropped points, after Leipzig dropped points, you know, I wasn't sure whether Dortmund were there to, you know, capitalize. And obviously they would eat the 1-0 uh, in the, what was it, 20th minute or so from, from Matthias Cunha. So um, what, what do you make of the uh, early woes of Borussia Dortmund, which is also not a novelty this season? Um, I'll be honest, uh, you know, the one that stuck out is, like you said, Guerrero, uh, who in a short period of time made some very untypical mistakes. I think that all just comes down to, honestly, players are tired. Um, I don't think we need to go into that uh, because we've already gone into it a few times this season and others are saying it as well. Uh, I think in the international break, every single podcast I listened to, somebody was talking about the players are just tired and you can kind of see that, especially a team like... Dortmund, who are playing internationally, plus players going on these ridiculous international break-friendly matches. I mean, competitive ones we can fight over, but I think uh, the friendlies just have to go. I mean, that the United States is 
doing a friendly in Wales. What's the point of that? Um, but uh, it was, you know, Hatta disrupted Dortmund um, and did that really well. But then when they had the ball, I'll be honest, Hatta didn't really do much with it. Um, they tried. Dortmund played very, very well. Uh, all in all, uh, and I, I watched the, the highlights again this morning, and uh, really the only things that stuck out, aside from Mateusz Cunha's two goals, uh, and we can talk about the uh, penalty uh, later, but, uh, you know, that was a wonder strike. No chance for Bürki. Uh Luka Bakio had a shot before that where Dortmund's defense just kind of went away. It's like Mats Hummels went, oh, I'm going to go over there now. So <laughs> here you have a free shot at goal and Luka Bakio then shooting it out of the stadium, it seemed. <laughs> uh, but other than that, Hetta really didn't do much. I mean, it's not like they were dangerous in an attacking sense. They were very uncomfortable for Dortmund in a build-up sense. But then when they had it, they were just as sloppy uh, and lacked quality. But they, like you said, they were up for the fight. It took Dortmund a little bit. It took Dortmund's halftime to really kind of wake up. And I don't know what was said at the half uh, to really uh, make that transition, that change. There was pressing and and better passing. But uh, Hatta did their disruptive best in the first half. But beyond that, there wasn't really a ton Hatta did. Well, I'll, I'll refute that statement wholeheartedly, Matthias. I think you've never been more wrong. Because uh, I think Dortmund actually woke up around the 40th minute. <laughs> so okay, five fine. Minutes, five minutes. I will, I will uh, fight about. Uh, no. Um, but yeah, I, I, th I think you, you're more or less right here. Uh, just that Dortmund, I think, wrestled back control around the uh, 35th minute or so. And actually almost made a count very close to halftime when Guerrero uh, squared the ball over to... Uh, Haaland, who just for some reason actually could not reach for it. And uh, I, I think he got a touch to the ball. It just sort of went away from goal, then in, which is uh, very un untypical. But I, I guess he also did not expect Kirero <laughs> to square it over in that situation. Um, but, uh, you know, they made amends for it rather quickly after the, the break. Um, what I, I have to say, I really liked... Um, uh, Matteo Guendouzi from uh, Berlin in the first half, especially. I thought the way he, um, how he won the ball uh, more often than not on, on Dortmund's right side and then also much forward with the ball, uh, really breached through Dortmund's uh, ranks and made things happen for Hertha. As you said, it's not like they created a plethora of chances, but uh, I still thought that uh, it, it was more of a. Uh, open game let's say and uh, it was obviously a very gritty midfield battle and uh, both teams uh, yeah sort of struggling to to really unfold something in the final third and uh, I've uh, to say especially in the first 20 minutes or so um, someone who did not look really comfortable I mean the entire team of, of Borussia Dortmund looked uh, you know wasn't up to the task just yet but uh, once again uh Thomas Meunier not really looking all that sharp, scraying a ball across the box straight into the feet of a Hertha player, and that could have easily led to a goal. And, uh, you know, according to FB Ref, he also had the most pass attempts blocked by six, which is uh, quite a margin to, to the second uh, highest value, which I think is three or two. So, um, yeah, I, I really think that Meunier needs to... 
do much better. I mean, granted, he is targeted as the weak spot, which kind of makes sense. If you, if you look at the uh, previous mistakes, uh, he has been pressured the most of all Dortmund players. Um, and it's not like he was uh, advancing so much that uh, he, uh, yeah, sort of invited the pressure. It's it's just more that he takes a long time on the ball. And uh, when when he also receives the ball, uh, players are also running toward him just because they, they know that uh, they can force a mistake out of him. And... Uh, in the second half, that vastly improved. He uh, dealt very much uh, better with the pressure and uh, had a couple of really nice dribbles. Um, but yeah, I think if you want to um, not go behind by a great margin, you really need to cut out these mistakes. And uh, especially to Mamouni in, in the opening 15, 20 minutes of a game or so, um, needs to improve. Um, I, I thought that the uh, goal that Hertha scored, obviously, um, maybe Axel Witzel can do a little bit better in a uh, uh, previous challenge or tackle. Um, Mats Hummels may be able to block the shot if he positions himself a bit differently. But I'll, I'll just say this: I think, um, I mean, it was, I, I think it, would, it uh, originated from a pretty just long punt from uh, Alexander Schwolo, the goalkeeper, um, and it was just well taken. Um, so credit where it's due, not much where that, that Burki can do anything from there. I think it was 27 yards out. It's the same distance that, uh, Luke Bakio took this one shot that you described, you know, uh, flying into the Berlin night sky. So, um, yeah, that was, that was just a very decent goal. And I think after that Dortmund got into the game a little better, it was sort of a wake up moment for them. So, um, Yeah. The, the first half is, uh, of, of all the memorable moments uh, of, of this game, is probably not the, the one to, to memorize too deeply. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad, glad that Dortmund uh, didn't go down by, by more goals than just one. So they really could repair it in the a, in a second half. And then obviously uh, after the break, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny that you, you see immediately that Emre Can made the vertical run, you know, because... That was sort of re- really lacking in the, in the first half, and even the commentators uh, Stefan Freund and uh, Phil Bonny both pointed it out that on the right side there is all this space, but no one's m- making the run, and that is sort of Hakimi is lacking in the situations. I think this is what they said, and I think they were completely right in that uh, analysis. And then uh, you see Emre Can uh, making the run through, and uh, the play was actually started sort of by Meunier, and then. Royce had this uh, really quick uh, first-time pass, and then obviously Emre Can with a really great cross uh, across sort of three defenders and the goalkeeper, and then uh, Haaland, like a striker, just you know puts it away. So that that goal in itself was uh, already faster played than uh, uh, pretty much almost every play in the in the first half, and it's kind of weird that Dortmund have made this sort of a theme now that in the first half they take a lot of touches, they take a lot of time to play the ball and pass it around. And then in the second half, like someone is actually flicking a switch, their passing tempo is uh, increasing and, uh, you know, the ball is playing played around much, much quicker. Matthias, do you have any explanation for that? Uh, I don't, so I don't expect you to have one, but uh, yeah, just, just come mean- up with one now. <laughs> I mean, could it be actually a strategy 
you know, uh, given Dortmund's pace and high intensity and physicality that they can have, um, combined with the high fixture list that they have, that you kind of have to, um, you know, balance out your effort a little bit. And maybe the thought is, well, if we go slower in the first half, we have the quality in the second half to tick it up. And if we have to come back from behind, we can versus if we expend all our energy in the first 60 minutes and then we break down in the last 30, we don't have enough in the tank to come back. Um, that's, I mean, in theory, that could actually kind of make sense. Uh, because the weird thing is, if we compare it to a few of the previous seasons, when Mateusz Cunha scored that goal... And you look at Dortmund's body language. And, you know, I know we always talk, people love to say Dortmund don't have the mentality to win, but they didn't drop their heads. I mean, it was like, okay, let's go. Um, the same can be said for uh, the matches against Bayern this season, Super Cup, and, and then also in the league, that they just didn't, they didn't just give up. They kept going. They kept trying. And that's something that was kind of missing in previous seasons where, uh, a Mateusz Cunha goal could like that could easily then deflate the side. And I think they have enough people and enough characters in their side now that just don't let that happen. Um, I believe it was in the first half where Emre Can was pushing forward and he was kind of motioning with his hand for Thomas <laughs> Meunier to, to overlap and make the yeah, run into space. That, that, that like, was so notable that they actually made a replay out of it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, come on, let's go, let's go. So it was almost... You know, you have those guys like Emre Can and Stefan Freund did point him out and said his mentality of fight, fight, fight all the time uh, is something that Dortmund was lacking. And, you know, tactics and all that is incredibly crucial and critical. And and Emre Can combines the quality and tactical know-how and knowledge and intelligence with that fighter mentality. And you do need that. No matter what you want to say, that's something that Bayern has in spades for the most part. And Dortmund, you can rightfully say, did not in the past have, uh, less, at least the last few seasons, not really have that in them. And I feel like that issue is not completely gone, but for the most part, you've got enough players in the squad that make them tick over and make them keep fighting. Uh, that that want to do it. And Emre Can probably embodies that the most. What I just found so interesting is that was kind of like, hey, Hertha, this move is going to happen with John doing the underlapping center back run. And um, it's like they just ignored that. Then the second half starts. And like you said, boom, that's the first thing that happens after, was it three minutes? And the equalizer was in and then Hertha just fell apart. And Holland did what Holland does. I mean, all credit to Hatta's Twitter account um, <laughs> for after the match when Holland said, "Oh, woke up this morning, basically at the European Golden Boy, and ended the evening scoring four goals, and then was you know went to bed, or you know got up this morning from bed." And they retweeted his tweet and said, "Do machines actually sleep?" <laughs> so I mean, all credit to them for acknowledging. Erling Haaland and that Dortmund just at the end of the day deservedly blew them away yeah interesting about Haaland is I think first of all we obviously need to talk about his the, the way he runs into the channels and uh, all that and obviously when we talk about the 2-1 uh, 
Um, I think it's it's very crucial to mention you, you said that Hertha fell apart, but actually after the one one they did not. They actually had this pretty good chance um, right before uh, Dortmund scored, and uh, I think Pekarik floated a nice cross into the box, and uh, you know if the cutback wasn't blocked. Um, I, I don't know if if, if Buki was on on there or some someone else, uh, um, but uh, you know in the end the ball landed with Buki, and then he obviously uh, rolls it forward to to Jürgen Brandt, and uh, Brandt then has this you know exceptional timing, and uh, I think I mentioned on before here that uh, I am uh, very much leading the initiative to play more vertical balls toward Erling Haaland j just because. Uh, you know, I was proven right in, in just this instance um, because you, you see what he can do. You know, he makes a perfect run. Uh, the opponent tries to play offside in the moment that uh, Brandt plays the ball and uh, as the uh, defender uh, stops to, to, you know, build the offside trap, Haaland has like, what, 10 meters of separation already, you know? And then um, what I find very interesting is you, you could already see it with his shot in the, I think, 17th minute when he sort of tumbled over just because he's putting his full weight into the shot. Whoever blocked it needed treatment afterwards because it was just that powerful and uh, it wasn't even a, a direct hit to the head. It was just sort of uh, on, on in the shoulder area and, and still the, the player needed some... Uh, <laughs> so, some some help afterwards so that just tells you how much force it is in these shots and obviously when Haaland uh, sort of strings it up uh, for the 2-1 um, you know it's obviously not the perfect angle but the the power he has in the shot you know and, and the, the, the placement was not 100% perfect but it's, it's just so hard that Schwolo just couldn't react fast enough his limbs did not move fast enough um, and, uh, you know, you, you sometimes uh, see these uh, sports science videos from ESPN, you know, how much uh, hitter in baseball actually sees off the ball, you know, how many uh, frames per second are sent to the brain before you actually can hit it and how many times you actually sort of see the ball, uh, you know, in, in these milliseconds. And uh, I, I think it's the same for the goalkeeper. It's just almost impossible to react from that sort of distance to a Holland shot because it's just uh, drilled home with, with such uh, panache. <laughs> That's just uh, awesome. And this is something a bit uh, reminiscent of uh, the Mark Royce shooting technique because he does it too, that he shoots so powerfully that he, he tumbles over and uh, sometimes sadly injures himself but uh, yeah that Haaland shot uh, damn I mean uh, if, if, if you want to deflate your opponent uh, I think that's the way to do and afterwards I'm entirely with you uh, Hertha were sort of defeated and the, the next thing if, if I may jump right to the 3-1 um, Jude Bellingham came on and uh, he immediately put pressure on, on a player and uh, due to him you know, forcing forcing a pass to the outside uh, that that uh, lets sort of to to the assist, if you will, to Haaland. Um, I just want to say how how good Jude Bellingham is in 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 the way he puts pressure on opponents, how he bullies them around immediately. I mean, in in the time he was on the field, I think it was sort of thirty minutes. He had seventeen pressures and he was leading the team already. Uh, by, by quite a margin and that sort of tells you everything you need to know that about that kit so um, while obviously it was a massive uh, screw up by Hertha to um, pass it sort of into the path of Haaland who then uh, expertly put it, puts it away I just want to uh, highlight that you can after 60 minutes of play uh, bring on 
the 17-year-old Bellingham for the Hoot, who also didn't have a bad game. And uh, you, you, you get the sort of presence from this guy already that uh, forces mistakes. And uh, once again, I've been very impressed by Bellingham, even if he only gets like a 30-minute run out. And I think that's the right thing to do um, with a player like him. You know, he's he's 17 years old, for crying out loud. I still remember what I was doing at 17. And, you know, the Landesliga wasn't quite the Bundesliga. Let me put it to you that way. Um, but with Bellingham... What was interesting is also, you know, there's no fear. And he immediately got under the skin of Hertha tough guy, Schwolo, who squared up to him. And I almost laughed watching that. I'm like, no, Schwolo, you're not that guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like if there's someone who's going to scare me on Hertha's side, it's not going to be him. Um, but his his work rate, his effort, his pressing, it's kind of one of those where you see him and you go, in a year latest in two, obviously notwithstanding the gazillion Bellingham to Manchester United tweets that will come out between now and then, uh, is that he is the natural replacement for Axel Witzel, and that you will have a Bellingham and maybe Bellingham de Hoot type um, central midfield pairing that can not just press and resist press, but also pass and has energy to spare. Because with, you know, you'd mentioned Meunier before, and I always, I didn't get on his back right away like so many other people did because I'm like, well, you got to give people some time to bet in. Well, he's had that time to bet in. He needs to get better now. Um, and as everybody knows, I did the same thing with Tahoot, gave him some time and then was like, no, this guy is just playing like crap, even though he is capable of doing so much more. I don't know if Thomas Mounier is able to do that. And Dahoud is proving it this season. I think he is, so far, he would get my vote for most improved player for Dortmund this season. But Bellingham coming in adds that extra dynamic in there as well. And that just shows where a Dortmund simply has a leg up over a Hatta or over, I would say, 15 other teams in the Bundesliga. It's just the amount of the, the quality Dortmund can bring off the bench. And then you have that other teenager who shows up then, two <laughs> other teenagers. you got three teenagers on there that can be absolute difference makers um, between Bellingham, Reyna, and Mukoko. So uh, the not only is the future very bright for Dortmund, but the present as well, because they can just change things up. And now with five substitutions, it's even more so. I mean, it's um, the fear that people had that the big clubs will benefit more from the five sub rules than uh, the clubs of lesser means. I mean, that's absolutely true. Uh, Dortmund are proving that. And so um, I was I was very happy with with his performance as well. Yeah, a uh, quick correction, obviously, uh, Bellingham did not lead the team in pressures. Uh, that would be a little bit too ridiculous. It was obviously Dahoud with uh, 27 pressures, and uh, then you had Royce with 26, Haaland with 19, and Brandt with 18. But I did want to point out that in the 30 minutes, uh, you know, he, he already ranked uh, fifth among a team, you know, and everyone uh, I just mentioned, uh, you know, apart from Dahoud, uh, who played 60 minutes, uh, Royce had 76, Haaland had 84 and uh, Brandt had 90 minutes and and Witzel and Meunier who are uh, you know sixth and, and seventh best in in uh, pressuring opponents uh, also played 90 minutes. Obviously, that position sort of invites you to to pressure your opponents a little bit more. But uh, you know, I just need to point it out because um, 
it's even even uh, if you don't uh, pass the ball around as much, just uh, the way you manipulate the ball flying from left to right in in the way that Bellingham does it, uh, you know, consciously knowing where you want the opponent to pass the ball, it's pretty cool, you know, that you can then capitalize on the mistake of an opponent uh, is obviously uh, sort of the cherry on top, but I just wanted to point it out real quick because... Um, you know, he, he made pretty much an immediate impact. And obviously you can say the similar thing about Girena because I think uh, he also won the the ball in... Was it was it before the 4-1 or the... No, the 4-1 was created via throw-in, but it uh, was the... Uh, it was the fifth the, one. The, the fifth one, yeah. Or the fifth two, fifth two in, in that regard. Um, yeah. That that was that was pretty cool too. Um, then he won the ball, and I think his his sort of weird touch to to Bellingham actually allowed the uh, Bellingham assist. Then again, a nice vertical pass to Haaland. Um, I I don't even want to say it was the perfect pass to Haaland because he sort of had to stumble a little bit. But it just shows us what a great first touch Haaland has. That he can you know run into this channel with uh, quite the amount of pace, get an imperfect ball, and sort of. You know, have to balance the footwork and everything uh, to to shoot it off and to score the goal before the opponents can even get to him physically. He was he was completely unbothered in the middle of the box, which is uh, a great quality. And 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 once again, please pass the ball vertically to Haaland as often as you can, because uh, you know it's 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 quite amazing. I I think there was this one Hummels dime, <laughs> uh, where where he. Uh, almost had it um where i think uh, he he was on site and uh, just just couldn't uh, convert against Schwolo. but uh, yeah it's it's just amazing how he performed in this game and uh, yeah these four goals obviously very much deserved um so yeah i think dortmund fans just need to in- enjoy this while it's less because uh, you obviously see the rise of of a complete soccer superstar you know, there's no doubt about it. So uh, I'm just really glad that uh, he decided to join Dortmund for the next step in his career and that we are now the benefactors. And uh, he right now is giving Robert Lewandowski a good run for his money in the uh, race for the Torjägerkanone. I think Robert Lewandowski right now is on 11 goals and Haaland is right behind him now on, on 10. So uh, I think that was also the, the first time he scored away from home. And uh, yeah, for a piece right away so uh not a bad performance at all in 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 these regards um matthias how vital is Haaland right now for dortmund to beat the obvious dead horse a little bit longer <laughs> well um you know i mean he's got the speed the size and the strength of a horse so may as well um well, it's it's everything, really. I mean, go back in time. What was Dortmund when Obama Young was out or when Lewandowski was out? You just didn't really I mean Adrian Ramos. Um, but with with Holland, Dortmund plays completely different when he's not in there because you're not trying the vertical pass into the channel for your striker to run onto. It's way more the tiki taka style. Uh, much more methodical, slower buildup rather than building it up, change of pace, knocking it into a, a channel, and and then magic happens. You just don't have anybody else in the Dortmund squad 
who can do that with that also strength. I mean, that's the other thing about his game you can't forget is it's not only that he has pace, but he can shrug defenders off physically as well in a one-on-one. You add then the pace with it, and you just don't have a chance. I mean, you're you're toast as a defender. Um, you have to position yourself perfectly. And uh, there are very few central defenders in the Bundesliga that are capable of doing that at the moment. So uh, without Holland, Dortmund are a completely different side, way slower, way more difficult to stomach sometimes because it could just take forever. Um, and he also gives them that fight. I mean, he will chase every single ball that goes that way. And so... Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the, and I don't think it's too much of a hyperbole to say it, that a future very strong contender for a Ballon d'Or, Erling Holland, can stay fit, you know. And like you said, we need to enjoy it while we can, because obviously he's not going to end his career at Dortmund. Uh, he's way, A, he's way too young for that, and B, he's just going to get thrown. I mean, people are, some people said, well, you know, maybe he'll go to Bayern, because supposedly that's where they originally wanted to go. I think he's gone past Bayern, and it's straight to Real Madrid type level. Uh, I can only that they're hope gonna so. be looking at next. I I really pray that he doesn't inherit uh, Lewandowski at uh, Bayern, because that would just be that would be too much to stomach in that moment. Uh, but I think given how good he is, yeah, I mean it's a it's a Liverpool, it's a Real Madrid, it's that that level, which I think from a world renowned outshines Bayern uh, in in that aspect. If you want to have, if you want to win the Ballon d'Or, you basically need to go to a Real Madrid uh, or a Barcelona, which obviously those two have produced all of the Ballon d'Or winners over the last I don't know how many years. So, um, that's that's where I see his future after Dortmund. Yeah, he could be the next Cristiano Ronaldo, basically. Not maybe position-wise. the but asshole. Yeah, but yeah, obviously, uh, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I just mean from, from, from a pedigree standpoint uh, of, yes. of, the, of the player type that you're just uh, ex- producing exceptional numbers on a consistent uh, basis. Um, but yeah, he's uh, uh, a little nicer, I guess, than Ronaldo. And so hopefully also no rape charges against him in the future. Uh, one can only hope. So, um, yeah, but uh, it's 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 just cool to see a player that uh, a really uh, motivates his team and, and teammates around him. That's always out there, you know, giving a hundred percent. It's it's kind of weird to, you know, in, in in professional football, obviously, you know, none of these players are lazy bumps just jogging around. You know, even though uh, they are getting accused quite often of doing exactly that but uh, you know that you, that there's obviously a percentile at the very top where it's, it supersedes everyone else and he sort of does that uh, with with this tenacity and, and, and pace and obviously uh, you know the way he celebrates when someone else scores um, it's it's just really healthy for the team to have a guy like him in there and to sort of lead the line and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I'm gonna say about Haaland uh, for for today because uh, I I feel like we're gonna talk plenty about him in in the future and uh, there are two players I really want to put my focus on uh, today 
um, obviously apart from Mukoku, who we'll have to mention at some point. But uh, one is, again, Rafael Guerrero. Uh, not only got the uh, goal for the 4-1, uh, should have had another probably before halftime, but... Um, You know, he had the, the most touches uh, in, in the team with 96. Uh, and I, I think he, he has a very good pass completion rate uh, around uh, 93% or something. Uh, progressive distance is uh, in, in his passes is, is 319 yards and the progressive distance in his carries is uh, at uh, 230 yards and uh, he had the most carries with the ball. Um, right now, he is a player that's almost unguardable when he plays the way he plays, especially as a wingback uh, in, in that 3-4-3 uh, system. Um, he is creating so many opportunities for Dortmund. Um, and he is, yeah, I, I, I don't know how, how else to say this. I mean, he had six uh, shot-creating actions and he, he is just phenomenal right now. And we've we've talked about him before but again if you look at the other side with Meunier who struggled sometimes especially when it comes to to the creative part um Guerrero right now is 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 really unleashed and apart from the first 10 minutes where he was sort of sleepwalking around the pitch and I think even committed a weird tactical foul at some point and uh, got a booking um he is really um yeah A, a player that you sort of need to shut down uh, right away if you think from the opposition coach's per perspective, you know. Um, obviously, there are a lot of uh, names on that, the Dortmund team sheet where, where you need to put your attention on, but I think right now as an op opposition coach, you have to figure out a way how to shut down Guerrero. But uh, the way Dortmund play, I don't really know how you do that because especially when uh, I think Lucifer called it the false number 10s with, with Reus and Brandt, who played way more centrally because they're both not really wingers. It just allows so much space for Guerrero to operate in and, uh, you know, the amount of freedom he is being awarded right now by by moving uh, across the entire field, moving to the inside, playing on the wing. Um, Matthias, I don't really see or foresee in the future um, for any coach to really come up with a solution on how to stop Guerrero without uh you know opening other spaces then that Julian Brandt or whoever can can hurt you in there. No, I agree. I mean if you overcommit to uh pressing or man marking Guerrero, well you're just opening yourself up. I mean aside from you know Brandt or whoever's on that side, uh the double pivot that's in there that can also slide in there. I mean, you have an Akanji who can then just stroll basically as an overlapping center back given his pace and his passing range. They'll just play that vertical pass into the channel for Holland to run into over and over and over again. So, um he It's interesting because they can't also just let him go, um, but they kind of have to because whenever you go man-to-man -man centrally or, or on the wings and you get pulled out of position, the, the gap you leave, you expose your own fullback or winger or central defender so much to out-and-out -out attacking players. Um, he is... As pivotal, pivotal, that's not a word, pivotal <laughs> uh, to Dortmund's build-up play and attack as Holland is in finishing the moves. 
Yeah, yeah, and I mean, uh, we were asked to talk a little bit about his connection with Akanji, and uh, this is why I said two players I want to highlight because the other one really is Akanji right now. Um, uh, not only because he is leading the team in uh, progressive passing distance uh, with 627 yards, uh, that's exactly 200 more than Munir got, who, uh, uh, yeah, is is the other player. But it, it just shows you right now what a um, momentum machine Akanji is for Dortmund. I mean, um, you you see in in uh, certain situations that he is leaving the back three to to pressure opponents already in midfield. It's something you're more accustomed to see from Jan or Hummels, but Akanji is doing it uh, quite as, as as well now and. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if if the uh, left side in the back three is his, uh, you know, preferred position. But uh, still, he had another really good game. He is once again using his pace to to win challenges and uh, also to often clean up mistakes that his uh, teammates in the back line make. And um, it's kind of funny that he is uh, also turning into Mister Reliable after you know being maligned to be Mr. Unreliable <laughs> so many times last season. And uh, I'm just really happy and glad to see it because we always knew about the potential that Akanji has. Obviously, he has the ball playing skills. He has the phys- physical attributes um, to to defend well. And uh, we always knew he could read the game well. But, uh, you know, there were so many instances of, of ball watching by Akanji over the previous seasons that uh, I'm just really glad that he is now in his flow again and um, yeah playing uh, really great football and especially when he has Guerrero on on this left side um, he is he is utilizing that really well by by passing it forward to Guerrero also with the positioning that he either builds the angle to have a passing outlet for Guerrero or uh, vice versa that he he just uh, you know shifts out of the opposition's cover shadow or, or, or twists it so that uh, Guerrero no longer is in the cover shadow and then, then plays a pass. Um, it's all very intelligent. Um, you know, his, his pass completion rate was also about nine, around 93%. Um, not, not as high as uh, as uh, Bellingham and Mukuku, both at 100% and Amrijan and Witzel obviously uh, at 96% as, as you would expect. But it's just, um, yeah, it's just terrific to see right now for him to um, really, uh, yeah, come into his his uh, role, and uh, I'm I'm very happy with him now. I mean, he's he's 25 years old. This is sort of when you expect for him to start hitting his prime. But uh, you know, Akanji playing on on this high level consistently is 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 really an asset. Um, Matthias, especially since you are the one with the uh, Swiss roots in the family, I, I think you are very much rooting for him too. Yeah, as a quasi-Swiss national, um, I uh, I definitely, uh, you know, root pretty hard for, for any Eidgenossen. Uh, probably explains my slightly blind eye towards Buki at times. But uh, with Akanji, I always knew... Because we had seen him play at a very high level three years ago, roughly two years ago. And then when Hummels came back and then he had the hip injury and he really had a massive dip. 
Um, but we talked about it before. I think it, I mean, at least it looks like his hip injury is now completely healed because he can also turn his balance is much better. He doesn't get knocked off the ball easily. Um, and it's very hard to beat him for pace. Anybody that goes up against him, no matter how fast in the Bundesliga, um, he does, he very rarely gets beaten for pace. Um, which obviously same can't be said of Mats Hummels, who makes up for it in his positional play, obviously, um, and, and his otherwise play. But this back three, and I was really concerned, I'll be honest, uh, that Favre was going to stick with a 4-2-3-1, which or, concerns the wrong word. I wouldn't have been surprised if he had. But since he switched back to the back three, I'm like, oh, Favre has committed more to the back three than I probably give him credit for. Not as a, we have to do this, but I want us to do this. This is our best formation because you have three difference makers at central in central defense now with Ulmitz, Chan, and Akanji, all of whom have great passing range, have good energy, can move forward with the ball. The other guys drop back and you still have a back four and then you have a Witzel or someone drop back and you still kind of maintain a back three so just the automatisms they have in their movement and their build-up play is fantastic and and uh, you know I know I said Dahut's probably for me the comeback or the most improved player Akanji's pretty neck and neck with him but I feel like Dahut had more to prove than Akanji because with Akanji we had seen how well he could play before Hummels showed up um, and now I feel like he's back on top form which of course at some point, Favre is going to look at that and go, well, we have this really good other player called Zagadou, and then then things get interesting, even though I think then Akanji moves to his more natural side, which is on the right side of the back three. So you have to take John out. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's not well, going then to you be just move. Well, you move Chan. Well, no, you move Chan into central midfield. Or if, you know, you're just not happy with the situation at right back, you put him in at right back. I think he could absolutely perform there. No, obviously. I mean, you can even play uh, Hazard as a as a right wing back. I mean, the the options are just so plentiful right now that it's uh, uh, almost impossible to guess a Dortmund lineup, especially with the rotation that is going on. And I must say, I mean, first of all, you have a switch in your system. You rotate players, obviously, and it's after the international break. But all things considered, how seamless Dortmund right now managed to maintain the balance that they have in, in, in this side is kind of crazy almost. It's it's almost frightening. I, I don't think I've seen this ever, that Dortmund uh, moves so many parts around and they still remain uh, this balanced because usually they are either very top-heavy or they may have a good defense, but their attacking output is sort of meh. Uh, but but right now I I feel like they have the defensive stability and they they manage to create goals and 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 chances and uh, it's really hard for opponents to to figure that one out and especially with this backline right now or this back three you have Hummels who is obviously one of the best players in the world when it comes to to builder play but Akanji and and Jan sort of um perfectly complement that with their own abilities right now. And it's just really nice to see that uh, they make it incredibly hard from a tactical position to um, sort of win the ball off Dortmund in in their in in their first sort of uh, play sequence. 
Yes, you can obviously win the ball maybe maybe if you pressure the fullbacks and obviously in in midfield as we've seen in in this game. But uh, you know, just just uh, sort of winning it, say say twenty meters away from goal just by by pressing Dortmund really high is really impossible to to pull off. And if you do it, you are always in danger that uh, the next thing you'll see is a long ball by Hummels over the top or or whatever. So um, just having this formation right now really prohibits opponents to play super aggressive. And we know Dortmund often struggle if opponents play like that. So you sort of have like a child lock against that, which I really, really like. So um, kudos to Favre, kudos to Zorg for uh, sort of uh, constructing this kind of team right now. Um, I... Even even if they're you know taking their sweet time to to get the RPM high enough <laughs> uh, in in those games uh, overall I'm really enjoying how how Dortmund are conducting themselves yet and uh, I think you know we are always talking about what does Dortmund needs to have success to win maybe a title and it's always about consistency and I think this is the most consistent Dortmund we have seen in a very long time correct me if I'm wrong Matthias but um, if they can keep it up I think that. Uh, they can actually win the Bundesliga title this season and have a better chance with this sort of balance and consistency than uh, they had in, in previous seasons, even though they were just, you know, points-wise very close. I agree. All right. <laughs> All right, Matthias. And uh, I think the onus now, as the oldest, is uh, on you to talk about the youngest, and that's uh, Mokoko coming on as a 16-year-old uh, writing Bundesliga history. Uh, what did you make of uh, Favre saying that uh, it was sort of his instinct to bring him on uh, for the final five minutes or so? Well, I mean, first of all, I appreciate you calling me the oldest. Um, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, now, now to underline your point, I still remember when Nuri Shaheen came on and we're like, oh my God, it's a 16-year-old. Well, now you have somebody who just barely turned 16 and is not in Football Manager 21. Come on, uh, people. He shame. didn't. It, I'll I'll actually say this. Not that this has anything to do with this, but everybody knows I'm I'm a big fan of that game, and and the reason why they didn't include him is because when they had to submit the licensing or whatever, he was still 15, and due to European law, child protection laws, they couldn't include him. It's very interesting. Anyway, um, back to you know, five, you know, five was saying he just had an instinct. I mean. The game was over. It was one. There was zero, zero risk at all for bringing him in at that point. You wanted to give Holland some time off. The kid could play completely relaxed because you're not going to screw anything up to the point of losing that game anymore, especially given how high up the pitch he played. Um, so it was great to see. Had he not brought him in at, with that scoreline, I don't think Favre would have heard the end of it, um, especially with five subs available. It was kind of, you kind of had to bring him in. And I'm glad to see that he did um, because it was a safe environment to do it. You're not just throwing him into the deep end, uh, which to a certain degree, Gio Reyna had been thrown in the deep end, uh, Bellingham to a degree as well, Pulisic before him as well. Mukoko, they've been very, very safe with how they approach, but also they couldn't throw him in sooner because of German laws. Uh, and he played well, actually, you know, I mean, there wasn't much to see there, but he seemed to have zero fear. 
He wasn't intimidated at all. Um, you know, uh, what did he score? 44 goals in 21 matches at the previous age level. Uh, so it was kind of like, yeah, bring him in. <laughs> well, the I previous age I, level, I, we have to point out, is the under 19. He was yeah, 15. It's three years older. <laughs> yeah, was, he was 15, 14 and 15, playing against 19-year-olds and absolutely blowing them away, Schalke. <laughs> and so um, it just, I think I'm very cautiously, very optimistic about this kid. Now, he lacks the physicality. You know, I mean, when you saw him and Holland standing next to each other, and like, okay, that one guy is really big and the other guy really it's, isn't. It's but literally the Mandalorian. Come on. It's, it's yes. the Mandalorian yeah. and, and the kid. That's, that's just what it is. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Um, but uh, obviously, he still has plenty of years of growth still ahead of him. Um, which is an insane thing to say at the professional footballing level. Oh, that guy can still, you know, add another 15 centimeters in height, no problem, and an extra 15 kilos in weight and strength. Uh, but he can because he's 16, barely. <laughs> so um, I would like to see him get a few more runouts, maybe for longer, because, again, Holland does need breaks, because if Holland breaks, then our discussion about Dalton's balance is going to be a little bit different, Stefan. Yeah. And so um, I would like to see him get some minutes in Boogie, even though I think I read that that's unlikely to happen. But why not? I mean, if Dortmund are up two, three goals, throw the kid in. I mean, literally, you got nothing to lose and put him in there and see what he can do uh, with that backing of the lack of pressure. And that's the key thing with young players. You don't want to burn them out. You don't want to have all that pressure on them. He already has a lot of pressure of expectation on him, given how he's torn it up at every... I mean, I've been reading about this kid since he was 12. <laughs> so playing against 15-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, gre greetings also to my uh, former yeah. colleague at ESPN, Stefan Ursfeld, who... Uh, had to write stories about him uh, when when he was very young. Um, I I I don't I don't think uh, you know you really need to uh, distribute this sort of story to an international audience right away. But um, just goes to show how much hype there is about uh, Yusufa Mukuku and uh, how how difficult it's it was going to be. I mean, there are obviously the reports uh, that he is already on uh, three hundred fifty thousand per year. Um, contract at, at Dortmund and that he uh, makes you know that he has a long-term contract signed with with uh, Nike and uh, I think he can make up to 10 million from that and, and and stuff like that so um you know just just his first appearances I think came with like a, a bonus and I think that the signing bonus in itself was 1 million according to reports um, it just goes to show a um, how crazy the football business is, but also um, that sort of everyone expects him to sort of uh, skyrocket and uh, really be one of the most exceptional players in the future. And obviously, from what we've seen at youth level, uh, there's very little to refute that. But obviously, the step from uh, you know um, the 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 youth football to to pro level is uh, you know a step that you must not underestimate. And uh, we'll see how it deals with that. But I mean, in terms of, of pace, you know, we also in, in, in Germany, we obviously talk about Spielgeschwindigkeit, the pace of the game. He looked fine. He looked like a fish in the water. He did not seem like he was bothered with the uh, the pace, which is obviously a bit higher at uh, 
Bundesliga level than at, at the youth level. And uh, yeah, from from the five minutes we've seen, it, it was a good debut. I was very happy for him. Obviously, getting that stat in uh, to to succeed Nuri Shine and literally one day after his 16th birthday, I I think this is going to be. Uh, a record that's going to stand for a while. I don't see another 16-year-old kid uh, to have their debut on their 16th birthday. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's cool for Dortmund to have that again and just underscores again their um, great work at uh, youth level. And, you know, the when you really think about it, yes, I'm a little closer to Dortmund than other clubs, so you pay a little bit more attention. But when it comes to the hype around a kid... And the rumblings you even hear from people who are not close to Dortmund, like, oh, do you hear about this kid who's just tearing it up? I can honestly say there are only like a handful of players over the last 15, 20 years that I can truly recall people were, you know, kind of excited about them at the age of 13, 14, 15. One of them is his teammate right now in Erling Holland. You heard about him really early. Um, Kylian Mbappé is another one. Neymar would be another one. Vinicius Jr. And of course, uh, Messi. You know, those are all players where you already heard that when they were 12, 13, 14, where they were blowing away kids that were three, four, five, six years older and just blowing them away. Um, there are others where you said, oh, this guy's really good, but not not like this. Um, and, uh, so I, I wish the kid all the bus best. I wish him the complete opposite of Freddie Adu's career <laughs> and, uh, um, Jeremy Dutziak's so, career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even them, you know, it wasn't this, I mean, uh, Freddie Adu to a degree, but that was also because U S soccer was just so, so unabashedly desperate for something like this. But uh, Jeremy Duczyk, yeah, I mean, there was some hype, but it's not, not no. this. And not the numbers weren't this. It's not comparable at uh, all. Like I said, I mean, the, the only ones I can compare them to are people like Neymar, Mbappe, Messi, and Holland over the last, that I can truly remember over the last 15, 20 years where there was this much hype about them as a, as a young teenager. Yeah, yeah. I think that's also a really great segue to talk about G. Reyna and his contract extension. Uh, he just uh, celebrated his uh, 18th birthday, so he also is barely legal. I guess the the best news for him, obviously, he no longer has to lie to Pornhub. <laughs> but but uh, no, more more seriously, um, Matthias, he um, sort of signed the uh, longest long term contract that he could sign. Uh, I read, you know, from reports and, and sources beforehand that he signed a contract till 2024, but it was 2025. I think same reports that I'm citing right now uh, said that he has uh, a raise to two and a half million per year now. Um, but uh, apart from that, um, how great is it for Dortmund to have this long-term signing? And do you think that there will be another extension on the horizon? Or do you think that by 2024 at the latest, he's likely to leave Dortmund with the uh, ripe old age of 22 then? Well, I mean, um, again, uh, like I said with Holland, he will not end his career at Dortmund. Now, he's a little bit more tied to Dortmund because he's been there a little bit longer. Yeah, but, but let's, let, let, let me stop you right here. I mean, we we sort of, every time there's a young player, like be it Pulisic, Sancho, etc., coming through, um, we all sort of know Dortmund is a stepping stone and then go, go on to bigger ways at some point there needs to be someone who sort of 
builds a connection with Dortmund bit in a DD fashion, maybe maybe not in, in the same spirit, but you know what I mean, where you actually think, okay, I'm Girena, for example, and I can play for any other club, but I actually would like to spend more time here and maybe leave at 25 or 26, etc. Um, or or even even beyond that. Do you think that um, of, of players coming through that Reyna could be one of these examples that actually uh, like it here a bit to, to stick around a bit longer? Do you, do you think that's realistic or do you think uh, that that would be uh, just a bit too um, romanticizing these sort of uh, kids? Well, honestly, I think the chance that someone like Mukoko is still at Dortmund in 10 years is higher than... Uh, Gio Reyna being there in seven or eight years. I'll be honest. I think the, the pressure is too big there from a U.S. national team side to go, Hey, you need to showcase your talents in the Premier League, you know, and maybe also wanting to follow in his father's footsteps and play in the Premier League. Cause that's really the showcase league for an American player. Uh, let's be honest. It's a, uh, English language. It's the biggest blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think that's, that's where, a Gio Reyna is naturally heading. I think he seems to be a little bit more mature than Pulisic was, um, but it's still a little bit early. We'll talk again <laughs> in two years. If, if I'm Gio Reyna, sorry if I have to butt in, but if I'm Gio Reyna, I'm going to look at Peacock and say, eh, no one's going to sign for this. I'm just going to stick with the uh, league that's featured from ESPN. Just going to throw this out there. <laughs> well, well, then he's going to go to to Napoli too. But um, <laughs> even though actually that'd be kind of an interesting move. But if, anyway, moving on. Um, I think you know with with Dortmund they have so many good young players that this is just kind of going to be this revolving door. I think Bellingham and we have no chance. He's going in four or five years. He's going to be in the Premier League, and obviously it's his native country that makes perfect sense with Gino Reyna. Yeah, I'd love to see him still at Dortmund when he's 26, 27, 28. Do I think it's going to happen? I don't. I just think the exterior pressure is going to be so much to want to move to the Premier League that that's where he's going to end up. Unless, of course, he takes such huge steps in the next two years in a development and that he's more at a Holland already superstar level that the Premier League isn't even at. It's it's a Real Madrid type level. Um, but uh, and the the other thing, of course, is financially teams in the Premier League is just going to give you more money. And and that's a big factor. And um, I can't blame a guy for going, yeah, I'm going to take that money and go there uh, because it's not like he's taking ludicrous money to go to China. He's taking ludicrous money to go to England. So, I mean, and play in the Champions League and be front and center for the U.S. audience who is more Premier League-centric than Bundesliga-centric. So that's just where I see him going in. I mean, I think this conversation will have to be had again in about two years. I think right now it's not. But when he turns 20, I think, uh, and he keeps on this trajectory of productivity and growth, then that's a definite conversation that's going to be had again at that time. Yeah, what's really positive right now about Giorena is obviously that um, he made the transition from a youth player to becoming a pro player in this season. Um, you know, last season, you know, he was hoping for his first Bundesliga start, and this season he seems to be an absolutely integral part of the team. He just turned 18, and you don't think about him as a youth player anymore. Not None whatsoever, even though he could easily play for an under-19 side 
you you see him as a full professional, and I think that's just uh, full full credit to him, just because he plays in such a mature way already that you don't feel like oh well he is inexperienced and 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 youthful and uh, you know he is making obvious rookie mistakes. Um, you know, far from it. Uh, I I think that he his his strength is actually that he makes uh, a lot of really great decisions. That's um, like Thomas Müller. He's a bit of a Raumdeuter uh, in in the sense that he reads the game really really well, and this footballing IQ is helping him a lot. I mean, his technique is great, but uh, I still see a little bit of room for improvement there. He's not the best dribbler, and he is. I mean, he's pretty fast, but uh, he's also not the fastest player. Um, but for Dortmund, he is a very important player that um, when brought on as a super super sub or as a as a starter, I think he um, he always makes a difference, and uh, that's very important. So um, yeah, having having the five year deal right now is obviously very important for Dortmund, and I would not be surprised if. Uh, don't want to tack on a couple more extensions or so um, to to increase his salary, uh, you know, according to his performances and has, as he gains relevance in in next seasons. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just great to see um, that a young American can uh, once again make it so seamlessly. And uh, yeah, it's it's also nice to see that at, at this age he's also quite physical already. That sometimes defenders actually bounce off him when he uh, manages to bring his body between uh, the ball and the defender. Um, that's obviously a feature we didn't quite see as often from Christian Pulisic uh, to to make that comparison. So um, yeah, I I think Dortmund can be very very happy with. Uh, you know the the way things are going because they are not really uh, spending a lot of money on on him all things considered and uh, given the output he's already providing uh, once again kudos for for that move and uh, yeah i'm i'm uh, really looking forward to the next 3 or 4 years because um you know while we both sort of agree that he's probably not going to play in his prime at Dortmund we'll still see a lot of good stuff in in a very long time and uh, that's that's all I'm gonna say about that, Matthias. Any other things you want to say about that Hertha game? Uh, aside from the fact that I still don't know why that was given as a penalty. No. <laughs> yeah, I know that was sort of a dive, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't think we should we need to to spend too much time on it because there are other very important things to get to. Matthias, are you surprised that Schalke finally made it to the top of the bottom <laughs> by uh, um, losing? Uh, I'm I'm not another game. I'm not surprised. It's it's amazing. Now they have 24, 24 games in the Bundesliga without a win. Just just imagine that. It's 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 really hard to comprehend how how uh, a club like this can manage such an epic streak and yet here we are and due to Mainz uh, beating Freiburg somewhat surprisingly 3-1 to one, um, they are now ahead of Schalke and I think Schalke right now are level on points with Cologne but obviously their uh, 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 goal difference is so diff- so just terrible yeah I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say so, so Matthias um, 
I've I've asked this question before, but uh, I I have to ask this again. Are Schalke going to get relegated? Yes, I think so. I mean, do you? I I do not see. I actually watched that match against Wolfsburg, which I don't like Wolfsburg either. They play really boring football. I mean, uh, they score about as many goals as the bottom five do. So yay Wolfsburg. Um, but even a team that doesn't really score goals has a pretty easy time against Schalke. Schalke have no concept defensively. They have no concept in attack. It's it's hoping that Makut, of all players, is going to score the goals to get you the points to not get relegated. I think the only thing that can save them is the incompetence of other teams around them. Um, but they're just... I think they're also stuck in their own heads um, because on paper, they do have good players. They have players that at least shouldn't be bottom of the Bundesliga and playing so badly. Um, I'm not going to blame David Wagner. I'm not going to blame Manuel Baum. It's just uh, maybe a little bit Manuel Baum, but it's just um, it's just everything about it is bad. And I saw that uh, was it Michael Reschke. Looks like he's going to get uh, fired, and everything is now being questioned in Schalke. Well, where was this three years ago? I mean, yeah, I realized three, was it three years ago that they finished? No, it was longer than three years ago that they finished second. But still, it's like, really, you're only now things are, no, you're, they're, they, I said it today on Twitter. It's like, not only do they deserve to get relegated. I think they actually need to be relegated. They need, they, they, well, they do in all seriousness. It would get rid of the dead wood. Um, it would free them of a lot of horrendous contracts. I mean, you think players, players on wages that they just, just can't have. Um, and then also get rid of the delusions of grandeur, you know, kind of flush the toilet and come back. Um, like Stuttgart, granted Stuttgart needed it twice now, but still that you, you kind of purge yourself of that. Um, and, or you just keep on falling and you become Kaiserslautern. Yeah. That's, that's uh, my Kikas question Offenbach though. Like if, if Schalke like do get relegated, is, is this all flushing the toilet concept, <laughs> which is obviously the fantastic best analogy you could pick? <laughs> but do, do you think that's actually going to work for them? Or do you think they're going to, uh, you know, play with their first team against Dortmund's second team soon? <laughs> uh, yeah, they'll be battling against Poison Münster for promotion from the Regionalliga West. Um, well, I mean, if they continue on this trajectory, then obviously they will because they'll be bankrupt. They'll be insolvent. They will have no more money. And everything I've heard for the last few months coming out of the club is uh, Ausgliederung, you know, where they're like, oh, we'll, we'll separate the, the football entity from the rest of the club because that'll allow additional financing. I don't know if that's going to come from Russian oligarchs or where they're going to find that money. But right now, investing in Schalke, it's not exactly something you'd want to do. Uh, the infrastructure of the club is great, but the infrastructure of the region is not. Um, and you have Deadwood players. Uh, you have a coach who probably won't end the season uh, as Schalke head coach. So if they're banking on Ausgliederung 
ask HSV how that went for them. HSV was also banking on Ausgliederung and then getting all that private capital put in and they still got relegated and they're still in the second Bundesliga and they just got their asses kicked by Bochum. <laughs> uh, deservedly got their asses kicked by Bochum in the second Bundesliga. And if they're not careful, they're once again going to fail to get promotion in the Bundesliga. And I believe in my heart that Bundesliga needs Hamburg more than it needs Schalke. Let's be honest. Just as a uh, Standpunkt, as a place where the Bundesliga is seen, Hamburg is more important than Gelsenkirchen. Um, but at the same time, you have other teams that are just doing it better than them in the front office, uh, as well as on the pitch. But maybe they can get out of their head like Stuttgart did and refocus and rebuild. But Stuttgart has a different mentality. Schalke is way more akin to Hamburg in that sense, especially when you look at both with Hamburg and Schalke, their glories are more distant than they were, say, with Stuttgart. So, um, and, and Stuttgart's a little bit, is a different mentality in general, uh, than Gelsenkirchen is. I mean, this is everything is Schalke in that region. And so, um, I just, I'll be honest, I think they're going to get relegated. Um, I think they're going to give Bielefeld a run for their money as far as bottom of the table. I still think Bielefeld's going to get relegated because they just don't have the quality, but they're a better run club than Schalke. Yeah, it's it's really quite uh, interesting to see how Schalke are falling apart. And I mean, you're talking about the Ausgliederung and uh, fresh money coming into this thing, but I feel like the uh, chances are they're just going to to spend it on more quote unquote dead wood, <laughs> as you said. So um, while it's uh, still all close there at the bottom, and Schalke may pull out the great escape. I mean, it's not like Mainz, Freiburg, Cologne. Or Bielefeld uh, are, are teams that are likely to to gather a million points in the next uh, weeks, but Jesus Christ, are, are Schalke bad? And it's 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 kind of hilarious to watch, but it's also kind of uh, yeah, not hilarious uh, seeing a once great club to uh, yeah completely fall apart like this. We've seen it before in the Bundesliga, um, but you can pull yourself out of this situation as Werder Bremen is showing right now. So um, there's always hope for Schalke, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, not looking great at all. So Matthias, uh, thank you very much for your uh, expertise and prediction on uh, what is going to happen to Schalke. We will revisit this uh, as the weeks progress. Um, but now, obviously, uh, a very steep turn, <laughs> I must say, from talking about Schalke to talking about the Champions League. But Matthias, obviously, tomorrow, Tuesday, Dortmund will host Club Bruges, who are still the pot four team and uh, obviously a team that Dortmund must beat in the group stages. And if they do, I think they will uh, then accumulate nine points in Group F, which uh, should set them quite uh, on for a group win. I mean, right now they are on six points, uh, one point ahead of Lazio. Club Bruges have four points. Um, what do you expect from from this game, which uh, is obviously on a Tuesday night, and then I think on Saturday Dortmund hosts Cologne. So this should be six points in total. Um, what kind of rotation do you expect from uh, Lucien Favre going into the game against the Belgium side? Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. Um, I personally, against uh, Brugge, I'd, I'd let Thomas Mounier play. I mean, this is his former club, may as well. 
uh, given that there's no travel needed, that that does help. I think uh, a rotation and the double pivot would be good uh, for for everybody. Just I, I think you know bringing in Bellingham for this match would make sense. Uh, whoever you pair him up with there, Delaney, I think that that could work. And then uh, rotating a little bit in the attacking sense, I would let uh, Azard play. I'd let Sancho play. Um, and then Brandt and Royce give them a little bit of time off. Holland, I expect him to start. Reina. And then eventually, and then, yeah, Reina, I think could be another one that you start instead. So, I mean, the options are there. Uh, I think, uh, Guerrero will start. I think the back five, uh, and then let's call it a back six with Bjorki. I think that'll stay the same. I don't expect much change there because, it's not like they ran that much against uh, Hatta, so I think you could keep the same ones in there. If you're going to take Munier out, which I could see the reasoning behind it, maybe you put in Felix Paslak. I mean, I, I think Paslak's a better wingback than Munier is, a, uh, and I think Munier is a better fullback than Paslak. So if you're going with the back three, that's one that I I could see happening, and I'd be okay with. Uh, I'd want to see Bellingham play. And like you said, I think uh, Gio Reyna and Togan Azad are, are players I'd like to see play. Yeah, I mean, uh, give Royce a break. I could even see uh, Favre giving Guerrero a break um, just because we all know his hamstrings are also a little fickle. Um, so putting uh, Paslak in for Guerrero and maybe switching back to back four or so is something I could see. Um, not necessarily I would uh, predict, but uh, if you're more erring on the side of caution, that would be a move I would make. And otherwise, yeah, uh, you can really switch out almost the, the entire team and uh, still have a team that should be capable to beat Bruges. That being said, obviously, um, the game in Bruges, even though I think it was in the end a very relatively easy 3 nothing. um the scoreline does belie a little bit the uh, run of play that uh, Bruges did have a uh, couple of chances and uh, I don't need uh, the sort of Legia Warsaw-esque kind of performance from Dortmund at home. Um, so, yeah, but I must say, right now, I really expect Dortmund to come up with a professional performance and not be an entire meme and uh, sort of a comedic outlet in in the sense that uh, they allow free goals or so because I was talking about the balance that they have previously and uh, I I think they'll continue in that same vein that uh, even if they concede a goal or so that they won't be really rattled and uh, yeah just in in the end uh, when all is said and done and the referee blows the final whistle I think by then it'll be clearly decided in the favor of Dortmund so my prediction for this game is uh, a 3-1 win for the Black and Yellows what's yours? I'm going with a 2-0 clean sheet. Very nice. And I think uh, that's all for now for today. Uh, I'm hoping we'll have a quote-unquote Thanksgiving episode uh, in the fact that we can record maybe another episode on Thursday and then tend to the listener questions we uh, got for our, uh, you know, when when I asked for for questions for the international Q&A, maybe combine that a little bit by talking about Bruges and Cologne. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, Matthias, uh, how can people follow you on the Twitter? 
Well, you can send all your love and hate <laughs> to at Matthiasuk. Yeah, you can also send your neutral takes at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. And uh, you know what? I don't feel like giving a whole large outro, so I'm just going to say goodbye until next week or this week. We'll see. Anyway, as always, thank you for listening. Until then.